Well, I'm Leplin. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, Strong and Powerful Bradley Clark. Brad, are you ready to do this? I'm psyched. Yes, thank you. All right, let's go. Bradley is a CFP, an RICP, an MBA. He is the founder of Clark Asset Management and the author of Be the Bird. It's a book helping people to avoid the trillion-dollar wealth industry shakedown. Bradley, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. All right. So I'm 53. I live in the seacoast of New Hampshire. Most people don't know that tiny New Hampshire actually has a seacoast. If you blink, you miss it. But that's where I live. I have three teenage kids, and which I love. I mean, I love my kids, of course, but I'm enjoying being a father of teens, much less stressful for me than being a father of uh, of little kids. I'm a tournament bridge player. So in my spare time, I play competitive bridge. And then my vocation, my passion is really manifested in this firm that I created six and a half years ago. Um, and I guess we can talk a little bit more about you know that mission and some of the ideas, you know, as you see fit, George. I love it. So I'm 44, Bradley, and I've never played bridge before. How did how did you get into bridge? How does how, how does that happen? Well, my stepfather was a player. So when I was a kid, I had some initial exposure uh, and then it kind of went dormant for a long time. And then my my father-in-law is an expert player. Okay. And so I think he, he kind of reawakened the interest and it's very strategic. It's very logical. There's a lot of inference and it's a, a game with a partner. So there's communication. Buffett and Gates are a team, and one of Buffett's, Buffett said something which I think made sense, which is learning to play bridge is like wandering around in, in thick fog for 30 hours. But then if you can stick with it that long, the fog slowly begins to lift, and then you fall in love with this game. So it's a true lifelong pursuit like chess is, where the more you learn, the more humble you get and you just keep exploring um and it's so i'm a, i'm 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 addicted and i think i guess the story i tell myself is that one of the ways as we age one of the one of the concerns is cognitive decline and so some of these pursuits like bridge or crossword puzzles or others are ways to kind of stave off you know the the inevitability of cognitive decline as we age and so at least that's the story i tell myself oh, i love it now do you get the best of father-in-law or how does that go oh I, yeah so i'm actually divorced but but i'm still very close with my ex-wife's family and i'm lucky that she and i are co-parenting you know amicably and live in the same town and and that she never put pressure on her family to sever their ties with me. So I'm actually pretty lucky in that regard. Well, 100%. Excellent. So you have been, um, you've done some very, very impressive things. You've worked for some very, very large financial institutions that I think everybody knows, and I'll leave it up to you if you want to share some of the names. Um, and then you have some kind of an epiphany that says, I need to start a, a financial firm on my own. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, so I was at Stanford Business School in the '90s, and I I took modern portfolio theory under Bill Sharp. So I mean, so so this is Bill Sharp, Nobel Prize winning Sharp Ratio, etc. I had no interest in getting into finance, but it was one of those life changing lectures where he was just kind of laying out 
active investing versus passive investing and this giant industry of people who purport to be able to beat the stock market. And he just kind of walked us through kind of the arithmetic of it and the evidence. And what I didn't realize is that it it, it became my destiny once I had that time with Sharp, but he didn't know it at the time. I think the seed was planted for me ultimately to do what I do today, but it took me a bunch of years in in business jobs, which is actually what I was training for before I finally came full circle to this. So I ended up as publisher and chief marketing officer at The Motley Fool, which re-engaged me in the topic, a topic of personal finance and investing. And I've always been an outspoken critic of the financial advice industrial complex. And then I decided instead of criticizing it, why don't I just put my money where my mouth is and build a, a in, in my view, an enlightened, futuristic wealth management firm that really challenges some of the four assumptions of the financial advice industrial complex. And I'm having the time of my life doing exactly that. Well, I think that that's incredible. I think it's easy to criticize things and try to tear things down, but way harder to do, as you said, put your money where your mouth is and actually go out and build it. So congratulations on that. So what are using evidence and and good decision-making? What are some of the, how is what you're doing different? Yeah, it's a good question. So the financial advice industry, it, has been evolving on how it charges for its um, advice. So, so it used to be all commission driven. And I think it's pretty clear that if you are commingling product sales with financial advice, it creates a very difficult conflict of interest. It, it, now there can be very reputable, very good people with high integrity selling the products but they are still hopeless, hopelessly compromised with respect to commingling advice and sales. Then we've been we've been shifting into an AUM model, where asset managers will charge one percent of assets, and yet and it's no longer a commission. True, but it actually also is chock full, still chock full of conflicts of interest. Right. So if I'm running your money and you say, hey, I'm thinking about buying a vacation home or buying an annuity or paying off my mortgage or retiring early or taking Social Security, um, deferring Social you know, decur Security, all of these financial planning topics uh, also represent conflicts of interest for somebody who's charging, you know, one percent of assets. So I believe and that the tide is starting to turn and that ultimately a wealth management service for financial planning and investment management will be priced in a way that's more consistent with how attorneys or life coaches or accountants charge I and mean, imagine a, an accountant charging you a percentage of your income to prepare your taxes right it's preposterous and so i do think ultimately it, the wealth management firm of the future will be virtual, lightweight, low overhead, technology infused, and will ultimately reject the 1% compensation model and shift to a retainer or flat fee. 
And I'm trying to be an example to younger advisors that you can actually build a successful business exactly like that. And one of my lines is, think, think about nurses and counselors and teachers and doctors. They work in what is often referred to as helping professions. I work in an industry, right? The objective is for someday this to become a profession and maybe even a helping profession. And But we have to get past prevailing compensation models in order to have a chance of getting there. That's really interesting. Yeah. I don't think I've ever thought about nursing as an industry or this 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 complex. It is certainly a, a healthy profession or even a vocation. And yeah. why should doling out financial advice be any different than that? Yeah. No, I think that's right. So, Interesting. So, so, so that so I would say that's I guess that's my soapbox ish, box issue. Um, but then there's lots of other things that I believe that not everybody else, you know, believes. Uh, and 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 I, I think uh, what I've learned in my years is that it's actually very difficult to change a belief. It's 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 hard to change a belief in another person. It's also hard to change your own belief, but it's not impossible, right? So this is about mindset and re rewiring your brain and and being open to new information. Um, but but belief is such a fascinating it's fascinating thing and i think it's difficult to change the beliefs let's say you have an investor who believes that he's smarter than the stock market and can can and can consistently pick stocks that outperform the stock market it would be difficult to disabuse him of that belief right whereas you have other people who say hey i think the evidence is clear that if you beat the if you outperform the stock market, it's luck and not skill. So that second person believes that it's better just to you know purchase the returns of the stock market, right? So those are just different beliefs that different people hold. And I, you know, I I happen to believe in that second one, um, but I don't judge people, you know, who believe the first. And how is how there's probably also, I don't know if it's a belief or not, but people are accustomed to transacting with finance, with, with, with the current financial industry. So when presented with an alternative model, an alternate model, how is how, how, how have people been receiving it? Is it confusing? Does it make sense? A little bit of both? It's a great question. I, it, it's hard for me. I, I mean, I will answer, but recognize that there's bias in my answer. Uh, we are growing very quickly right when people when people see what we're doing and how we're charging um you know we get lots of consult calls and 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 it's generally easy to sign up new business if you think about it if somebody's paying 35 grand you know one percent of 3.5 million for instance and then they see our price which is 9500 bucks they look at that and they say okay well what's going on there what explains the difference how is it possible that brad and his team can provide the service at 9500 so some people who never book a call probably look at it look at it and say well you get what you pay for so there's there's no way i'm going to even talk to this guy because it must be like it must be good, too good to be true and then you've got other people who are starting to understand that although 1% looks small 1% of a big number is a big number and 35 grand per year over the next 30 years i mean that's a lot of 
family vacations and cars and like all sorts of other things that are accruing to your financial advisor instead of you being able to spend on your kids and grandkids and, and everything else. So we've had tremendous traction in the market with this single fee. There's no gotchas, there's no complexity fees, there's no tiered pricing. We're in the market with one fee and it's on the website. And so it's kind of a breath of fresh air and we've gotten a lot of traction with it. I love it. And so what what are you performing for client? What What are you doing? So, so in my view, a true wealth management offering has two services bundled together. The first is financial planning, and the second is investment management. Investment management's relatively well understood, right? The, the advisor buys and sells securities on your behalf, maintains an asset allocation, services the accounts, rebalances them, tax loss harvesting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's relatively well understood. Financial planning, less well understood. You could ask 100 people to define financial planning and you'll get 100 different answers. But basically, it means taking somebody's life goals and values, translating those into financial goals, and then using powerful software and spreadsheets and other decision-making frameworks to articulate and implement strategies across insurance, estate planning, college planning, tax planning, investment planning, right, budgeting uh, to to help clients achieve those goals, right, and, and do so with a very resilient financial architecture. And, and the term resilient, I really am focused on because resilience has, has become a very big idea, even in schools and with counselors and coaches, like, like how are, what can you do in your own life to, to be more resilient because we will all face setbacks. And I learned the hard way in my life that I wasn't resilient at all because I had a, such a string of success and then I fell off the proverbial horse and I couldn't get back on. And I, and I found out that my own stores of resilience were empty. And this was about 15 years ago. And, and that, that phase changed my outlook. So I, I really dived into positive psychology and mindset and optimism and resilience. And then fast forward to today, and you think about financial planning software, you know, there's Monte Carlo analysis and all these analytic engines and everything where we can compute the probability of success of a financial plan. Well, why not think about that as the resilience of the financial plan? And why not think about that as resilience being part analytical, but then also part what's happening kind of between your ears. And, th and, th and that's what I ended up trying to do with my book. So I so instead of just another boring book on financial planning, uh, it's really a book about confidence as we approach retirement and live during retirement. It's a book about confidence that happens to lean on or pull from a very strong reservoir of retirement income planning strategies. Uh, but in the book, I really get into psych you know, psychology as well. Uh, so it's kind of part psychology, part retirement income planning, part memoir, kind of all, all woven together into this idea that ultimately what we're trying to achieve is the feeling of relaxed confidence 
as we approach retirement and live in retirement. So, so relaxed confidence is the objective. And then to what extent can the financial architecture support and reinforce the idea of relaxed confidence? Well said. I love it. Relaxed confidence. You know, I think it's immensely valuable, all the different tools that, that you know, that, that you use and the evidence of it. But at the end of the day, I imagine that that's what people really want. Is they want to know that things are going to be, be okay. And it's, we, 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 my financial situation is resilient. If there's a bank collapse or there's whatever, what, whatever comes our way, it's probably going to be okay. Right. And that you're living your life in a state of readiness, right? And, and I, I've done so much thinking about this. And, and you know, I was born a realist. And, and, and then I read all the Kahneman stuff. And he said, if you could have one, if you could have one wish for your unborn child, and it gives me shivers even to relay this. Kahneman says, if you had one wish for your unborn child, child wish that he is born an optimist. Because hmm. optimism carries the day for longevity and health and friendships and success. And so I've actually worked for the past 15, 15 years to shift from being a realist to an optimist. But in my business of financial planning, you also have to be able to think catastrophically, right? And so if you're a client, it, it the message would be spend 99% of your time living your life as an optimist. And then spend spend one percent of your time either thinking catastrophically or outsourcing that catastrophic thinking to a wealth manager that understands how to think about and manage risk, right? So that you can live your life with a positive mindset and not being scared or fearful, but recognize that you or your delegate actually has thought and does occasionally think catastrophically so they so, so that you can put the things in place that drive resilience. And, and in my view, that's the only way to truly enjoy relaxed confidence. There has to be a sliver of catastrophic thinking and planning in order to put you in that position. Powerful. How has your shift from realist to optimist been? Well, as I said a few minutes ago, it's hard to rewire your own brain. So it has been an effort. Um, but you know, it's it's one of these things where you cannot measure it day over day or week over week. But but the 53-year-old version of Brad Clark versus the 35-year-old version of Brad Clark, I mean, there's been immense progress on shifting my mindset from you know realism to optimism. I mean, I used to look down on optimists as being detached from reality, um, Pollyannish, uh, silly, <laughs> right? So much judgment around that. And I look back on the absurdity of those things. Uh, and and um, so I, I have made progress on it. I think that that's great. I think that that's great. And I, I appreciate you sharing and more so I, I appreciate the uh the consistent effort and recognizing that it's tough to measure it from yesterday or two days ago or whatever it might be. Um, I think that that's such a big key. And I love 
the idea about and the importance of focusing and being 99% positive as much as you can be, but make sure that you have that 1% of the time you're spending on the negative to make sure that you're protecting yourself or outsourcing that to somebody else who's going to be doing that, that work also. So very thoughtful, Bradley. Thank you. Sure. Well, I appreciate you coming on too. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with the financial, uh, with Clark Asset Management and where can they get their copy of Be The Bird? Great question. So the website is simply my name, Bradley Clark, and there's no E at the end of Clark. So that's where my firm is, Clark Asset Management. There's a bunch of free and in, in stuff on there. There's a video course people love. Um there's downloads, a bunch of free stuff. It's all around the idea of retirement income planning. The book is not yet on Amazon, but will be there shortly. The name is Be the Bird. We also have an offer on the website, which is Bradley Clark forward slash podcast offer. And that would just be for people that actually want to speak with me. It's not a sales call, it's just a chat about retirement income planning. And if you do that, you know, we, we ship out a hardcover complimentary, you know, copy copy of the book. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Bradley your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to BradleyClark.com, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com and check out the great resources that Bradley has created and then go to bradleyclark.com slash podcast offer and get your hardcover copy of the book. Have a conversation with Bradley. And I'm confident that you will very much enjoy his perspective as I have today. And I'm sure you have as well. So thanks again, Bradley. Okay. Thank you so much, George. Until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.